1: right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com home dash trial.
2: Greetings one and all, and welcome to Moments That Rock, a proud member of the Pantheon group of podcasts, I'm your host, Tony Mike Leedis. I've spent three decades working in the music industry, running my own PR company, and working as a publicist. For you 2 The Police, Depeche Mode, David Bowie, New Order, Peter Gabriel, Genesis, blah, 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 blah. If you want to know more, feel free to visit my website at www.tonymikeleadis.com. Each week, we'll strive to bring you a cornucopia of musical delights, all based around storytelling. There's archive interviews from back in my radio days with the likes of the Ramones, Steve Wimwood, The Cramps, U2, etc, etc. And we also have some great stories from some industry insiders. Right, intro done, I'm with the show. There's a whole bunch of rock stars who work behind the scenes and they have some great stories. Insider Insights takes you inside their world for their stories and their rock star moments. When the decision was made to produce this podcast, I thought along with the archive interviews, wouldn't it be great to have some industry veterans telling their stories and share some of their experiences through a long time in a great period in the music industry. Personally, I found that these stories would be both entertaining, educational and inspirational and appeal to musicians and fans alike. Today's guest is Paul Conroy, a gent I've known since 1978 when I worked with him at Stiff Records. He'll tell you, chronologically, his guide through his career. Paul ran Virgin Records through the 90s, making them the most successful record label around. So, without further ado, we'll hand it over to Paul Conroy to tell you his story and his stories. On the way back then
3: well my name is paul conroy um and yes i started in showbiz way back in about 1970 um, it all started for me when i went to yule tech in surrey to do my a levels and i was virtually thrown out of my school because i didn't get into the sixth form so they didn't really want me back for the to, to do them in, in those days and when I went to Yule Tech, I got involved as the social secretary, which was then the guy who used to put on the dances at the college. And when I first got there, it was like people like Alan Elston's jazz band. Um, but I was lucky. I became a social sec. I don't think anybody else wanted the job from the Students' Union. And um, my first act that I, that I brought to the college was the NICE, with Elmer Gantry's Velvet Opera. Uh, the second gig was this band called, well, we went for the new Yardbirds. And um, uh, the day before they would arrive, the Friday before I was rung, so they'd changed their name to Led Zeppelin. <laughs> so I, I had Led Zeppelin for 175 pounds at Yule. <laughs> the page came down because actually he'd gone to school in Yule, his mother was a dental technician, in um, a d- dental receptionist in Yule, and his first band that he played in after he'd been to Yule Castle School was um, a sort of a, a skiffle group with Jeff Beck. Um, so I can remember him sitting in the dressing room reading his Asimov novel. Anyway, enough of that. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I got um, asked to become an agent. With a, a company called Terry King Associates and I started with them after a brief stint of teachers training college in 1970 and that was my first intro into into the music business so I was lucky because I have I, over my years I've been an agent a manager and a record company executive so I've seen all sides of uh, working with musicians and artists, I suppose. I started as an agent and I got to the gig on the first day, uh, the Grand of, I was getting 17 pounds a week in those days, and I was booking out the fortunes, the foundations, and the band that really brought me into the music business was uh, Caravan, who I loved and I became very friendly with and I wanted to make them, make them stars. Um, And, um, I worked with, with them and also there was this band called Genesis who I was the agent for, Van Graff Generator and Lindisfar. So I went from Terry King Associates, who I worked for a couple of years, to work with Charisma and Charisma Records. Tony Stratton-Smith asked me to set up um, an agency um, on which we call Charisma Artists. And we took all the, the acts from uh, Terry King and um myself and a young man called Nigel Kerr um we we ran charisma artists and it was there um and, and around that time where i got very friendly with genesis as well i used to tour europe with them with Van de Graaff generator and um i built lindisfarne from 15 pounds a night and supporting at the marquee to them to, when i'd left the agency they were they were sort of very high up on the bill at the crystal palace bowl and getting thirty thousand pounds which was a lot of money in those days um, from charisma artists um, i i i got involved with a number of acts uh, starting with chili william red hot peppers and um it was there i met a, a guy called andrew jakeman jake with the era and i then got involved with Kilburn and the High Roads, and they came on the agency roster with, with Chilly Willy, and I suppose I got involved with most of the, what in those days were called the pub rock acts, and I um, uh, worked with them, and then I, uh, one day I was invited to go down to the Kensington pub in Kensington, uh, to see this band called the Curls and Flyers. I then went on to manage them. We had a number of reasonable size hits. We toured Europe with the Flying Burrito Brothers and we did a two hour documentary on BBC Two, which was a lot of fun. Um, And then I remember putting myself in a washing machine, which anybody (laughs) knows anything about the the curls and flies, at Royal Holloway College, having just come off stage dressed in Bako foil and things. And that was my last night with the curves, because I just thought, I can't do any more. And um, I got in the spin dryer at the college, went home, and that was it. And then yeah. a few days later, I get a call from Jake. And Jake told me he was working with Dave Robertson. They just started Stiff Records. And they wanted someone... Um, uh, I think the word was M-U-G. Mug. No, it was someone <laughs> uh, who to come in and be the general manager of Stiff to basically organize it uh, within the chaos that Dave and Jake were going to create. They put out a couple of singles by that point. I knew all the artists because I knew Nick Lowe and I knew The Damned and I knew various people. Now I always had a lot of respect for Jake because uh, I loved his marketing skills um, and him and I worked really well together. We promoted Gigs in London, as well as having a lot of fun with Chilly Willy when he was managing them. Anyway, um, it was Dave Robinson I was a little bit more uh, uh, reticent about because Dave I'd known Dave for many years uh, when he was running the Hope and Anchor pub, and um, I I always thought of Dave as more like a lovable rogue. And uh, but it was Jake who brought me into Stiff. That was the main reason, and I had seven very happy years there i went from stiff where i was general manager and by the time i had left we had massive success with with the injury and elvis costello and madness and etc etc um and uh i went from stiff i was offered a job um working at warner brothers wea as it was then as a uh, marketing director and I went to Warner Brothers and I worked with all the Warner's acts for probably another seven years as well before I was then poached and I went off to run run Chrysalis Records. And then from Chrysalis Records, I, had, I was poached again to go and um, run Virgin, which I ran for 10 years. And luckily, we had the most successful period Virgin's ever had. And we were the number one label in the UK for... A considerable number of years, and uh, I suppose I will go to my grave with the man who introduced the Spice Girls to the company. So uh, they went on to sell millions of records, as we all know. So that's me. Oh, and I suppose, yeah. And let's not forget, after I left um, Virgin, which would have been about 2002, um, I managed to sign. uh, I had my own little label, uh, which I had Christine McVie on the label little rapper called Verbalicious and Chris Difford from Squeeze. And we also signed um, Gary Jules and we had the single Mad World, which went number one all over the world. And um, we sold nearly a million copies in the UK alone. So that was something we did on our, on our own, my wife and I. So, uh, And now I am semi-retired and uh, doing a recorded uh, interviews for um uh, a certain ex-friend of mine from manchester <laughs>
2: now in florida <laughs> yeah. you i mean you were talking then about adventures of music at the end weren't you um yeah. so why after a number one record did you, did you call it a day or did you continue for a good few years after that and then just think well it's not like it was
3: no well the problem with adventure was uh, i i it took me a long time to come up with the name that i wanted and i really liked adventure and which is now funnily enough being used all over the place and things and uh, um but i was i suppose in my late 50s by then and people were not so willing to back people with record companies if you if you music publisher or something like that they thought they had something tangible they could hang on to i think there was an element of me as well not really have wanting to invest the last amounts of my You know pension which I probably would have done if I'd been 27 and around the days of stiff records and um, I people maybe didn't want to take a chance on me in those days it's a shame because I think we could have been a label which could have been uh, a modern day uh, label which would have uh, encompassed a number of different musical styles which is what I always enjoyed labels because when i was at virgin i could work with someone from michael nyman to uh Zone, you know
4: or- hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds our family now has three pairs of raycon earbuds around the house and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price and yes she loves them now if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of raycon's
3: um, and that's what I've always liked. I mean, that's why I like going back in time, worked at charisma as well, where I've, I've, I, you know, I, one of the greatest lunches I ever had was going out with Tony Stratton-Smith and Sir John Betjeman to try and get Sir John Betjeman to go out on the road with the Barrow poets. I mean, it never happened, but uh, to go out with someone like that just for a lunch was for a young agents as I was in those days was remarkable.
2: You've been listening to Paul Conroy and hearing about his fabulous exploits over a considerable time in the music industry. And part two of that will be in the coming weeks. Way Back Then is part of Moments That Rock, where we dig deep into the archives, dust them down and deliver them. More archive interviews next week. Welcome to the bit where we plunder the archives and dig deep and find interviews from way back then. Today's way back then, a part of Moments That Rock podcast, is the second part of Steve Winwood, an interview that I did with Steve Winwood back in mid eighties around the release of his first album for Virgin Records, which was Roll With It. So, without further ado, let us roll with it, Steve Winwood.
0: The last time I saw you playing live was probably what, 1983, around Talking Back to the Night. Um, and you looked to me a man who was, all right, you come to terms with entertainment, a bit. But when I went to the concert to I see you, I, I did expect, in a way, the fact that, you know, you're, you're reputed to be like a fairly introvert character on stage and things. I expected, in a way, to be hid behind keyboards. Yeah, you were up front playing guitar and even singing without anything in front of you. You were enjoying yourself then, weren't you?
5: Yeah. Um, Yeah, in fact, and I did that on on the last tour as well. And in fact, I actually, uh, yeah, uh, you know, and I kind of tried to work very much, you know, I worked with people about, you know, doing stage moves, just as, you know, people like who who are naturals at that, just like maybe Madonna, for instance, who's probably a natural at stage moves, would work with someone you know, on the production, you know what I mean, it's, uh, and I, I'm probably the opposite, but I did work with a couple of people on that, and, uh, and in fact, uh, after I toured on on the last tour in uh, 86, um, when I toured America, in fact, I, I had a certain amount of criticism, because people said, well, you no, know, we like to see you, you should sit behind the keyboards a bit more, and, you know, so. I think I'm going to. I'm, I might do a bit more of that. Do try and do a bit more playing
0: on this next. Uh... You would include guitar in that because a lot of people want to see you play guitars or well, keyboards, don't they? Oh yeah. Well, there is quite a bit of guitar on this album. Uh, That's you, is it? I mean, you're employing a guitarist.
5: Yeah. Um, the only guitarist we used was Paul Pesco, and and he he was in in, in my band before, and uh, he just played on one song, uh, which is Hearts on Fire. Um, the other guitar was uh, I played uh, on all, on all the rest of the album. I played the guitar.
0: It's been a famous quote of yours over the years that you would much rather be known as a as a great musician. The fact is you've you've been in the forefront for for some 25 years now. It's like we talked about last time. I mean, in a way, what is the left to do when you've had a number one record at the age of 15?
5: Um, yeah, well, there's quite a bit, I think, or else it's all downhill, you know. Uh, uh, no, but I, I mean, um, you know, I, um, I think you know the important thing is, you know, I, I'm still ex- get excited by, you know, by the st- good music, and I still, you know, enjoy it. It's, I still get the same feeling. I think, you know, from from a great Song or a great piece of music, as I did, you know, when I was 15. So I mean, I probably, I'm probably not. Uh, uh, I'm a bit more miserable now than I was then. <laughs> I think, no. But I, I'd hate to met you then. <laughs> thanks. Uh, no, but uh, you know, I'm. Uh, but it, it is. Um, it's quite. Uh, things have changed a lot uh, throughout the music business and the music scene. But I mean. Um, I think, you know, I've accepted more the idea of, um, you know, of doing, a performing and, 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 and be, being a performer. I mean, uh, I think I should probably, you know, at some point in the future, at the, you know, I've got two more albums for Virgin. and After that, I should probably concentrate a lot more on production and I want to do a lot more production, work with younger bands.
2: You've been listening to the Way Back Then podcast with me, Tony Michaelides. Each week we delve into interviews from back in the day with rock stars or music industry icons from, again, way back then who'll share some great stories from their career. You've been listening to Steve Winwood today on the Way Back Then podcast. And now we'll join him again talking about his time from the 70s into the 80s.
0: You were, but Survivor's not the right word of the 70s. I mean, obviously, you'd had an enormous amount of success with, uh, you know, your solo projects at the latter end, straight into the 80s. But, I mean, in a way, the 80s could be more exciting for Steve Winwood than the 70s. I mean, you are made for the area of of CD now, aren't you?
5: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the 70s for me wasn't a good time. It was a hard time. Um, You know, uh, well, that's the kind of latter part of the 70s. And... uh, you backed
0: off in in the three years of of the punk explosion and things, didn't you?
5: Yeah, I did, but which you know was probably a sensible move <laughs> in retrospect. Uh, although you said backed off, I actually released an album in the thick of the punk explosion, which you know passed unnoticed really. <laughs> um, but uh, and but also th- that was the first solo album I did as well, and. That was in 1977. I had a hard time then, and also, um, you know, I did I did a few projects. I was doing working on other people's projects, a few odd things. I I uh, played with an African band, and then I did um, uh, I played with a Latin band, and then I I uh, played with a Japanese percussionist, and I did all kinds of. Odd stuff, but nothing of which was really lucrative, and and um, it was all around a hard time for me. And 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 then I I made the album in in 1977, which really I only made it because you know the record company wanted product, and. I, I, I don't think I was really that keen about making that album. You know, um, they wanted something from me, and so I did it. And I, I don't think I was... I think I was probably more unhappy with that album than I had been for, for a while. But, you know, I did it, and I think people can tell that. You know, you can hear it. And But uh, although there were probably a couple of nice moments on it, but um, but then after that, I thought, well, I'm going to have to, you know... Pull all stops out and do something now um and uh so I said about making arc of a diver which I decided i was gonna do completely alone and didn't use an engineer or any musicians and and um i th- you know it i was um it was in the face of of a lot of you know criticisms the uh record company come around and say you know listen we think you should really use an engineer you know and I said well no no I, I do think I can manage this on my own and they'd kind of roll their eyes and say okay then you know and uh I think I think they kind of thought it was the end of my career thought, Oh, well, you know we've lost Winwood now he's finally you know lost it you know and uh um really it was that it was a important turning point for me that album because if it hadn't have been a success then after after doing it like that I think I'd have probably been quite happy to give up music you know and think and turn to something else and or maybe I mean I'm I'm not sure what maybe got into A&R with the company record company or but I, I mean I would have known I would have felt happy doing it because I'd have known that I'd, I'd have given it I'd have done my very best on a on an album and it wouldn't have uh, and it and it wasn't you know accepted so you know what more can you do you can just do your best and if people didn't buy it you know that would have been fine as it happened it did do well and you know in many ways that's a really big uh personal triumph for me the fact that that album did as well as it did you know uh, also at that that time I didn't have any money and so that came couldn't have come at a better time as well uh, because as I say, I've i been doing things which kind of paid a few bills but um, I certainly had no money and and I invested my money in making that album and uh, 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 what money I did have and um, Although there were very little overheads, I didn't have any musicians to pay, or engineers' fees, or session fees, or uh, any producers' points to pay. So, you know, consequently, when it was successful, it was, um, you know, it was. uh, I made it. It was a success for me. I did
0: make something back on it. Very interesting that that you talk about like nineteen seventy seven and producing, engineering, and playing everything. I mean, all the accolades that Prince gets nowadays for for how he records. You were doing a decade ago.
5: Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've um, I I did that on a couple of albums, and then but then I because in the what happened is the the uh, from nineteen eighty onwards, especially between eighty and eighty five. Um, a lot the the technology of recording and instruments uh, just kind of exploded um and it moved incredibly fast it's kind of leveled out a bit more now
0: although it's still changing and moving a lot um, more sort of in the dance area i mean the hip-hop and kids with machines making their own records now well i mean you've, the thing is like even though you're you know you're sort of a come from the 60s through the 70s into 80s, you've always kept abreast with the technological advancement and used it to your own advantage, haven't you?
5: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, um, using, uh, yeah, that's it, I mean, using the the technology isn't doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it ends up sounding like a hip-hop record, you know what I mean? But, I, yeah, I certainly have done, and um, I, I mean, I, I like to use technology to to, but I mean I still like things to sound natural but I mean it's necessary to use the technology uh, but I mean um, I did two albums like that where I did everything but then I felt that I couldn't really concentrate fully because the technology has changing so much I couldn't concentrate on the songs and the singing and the playing and and all the technology as well, because it was changing so fast, and so I really had to get people um to who who were good at programming and and a good engineer and um you know uh, uh, to to um uh work on the album which which i did on um back in the high life you know and also got a lot of players as well um and uh it, it it enabled me to I think the album sounded different. It sounded kind of a bit fresh, and I think that's what contributed a lot to its success. You know, as I say, that was the most successful album to date. I think this new album now is is very much a compromise between that. I mean, I've kind of gone back a bit to. To doing a lot more, I mean, I played quite a quite a few of the instruments on the album. I did the bass, I did the keyboards and the guitar, except on one song i I played drums on one song, and um you know, and I produced
0: it I like drums where you've got two percussionists and a drummer on the album
5: yeah, that's right, but well, yeah, I mean the percussionist or the drummer weren't
0: on. The song I played on was just roll with it. Are you um are you, are you sort of looking with interest to see how the single's going to be received? I mean, do you think it after like I suppose in a way the last thing the the radio people etc heard might have been around Valerie off off Chronicles and things? Are, are you sort of bothered about how it's going to be received, or do you see it as a taster for the album or what?
5: It was probably um for. uh, uh appeal to the CD crowd, and I've heard that CD crowd a lot. I mean, I don't know. So you've heard the CD crowd. Oh, CD crowd is it? That's what it is. Uh, But um, I mean, incidentally, a lot of this that being uh, that will be released as singles will be severely edited inside out. Which, uh, uh, and I'll do the editing. I mean, you
0: don't mind that, do you?
5: Well, I mean, often. can they be edited? And after doing the full version, I'm I'm thinking of where they can be edited, and you know, what to sound good on the album, uh, uh, and for the for the four minute version, how that can be done. Yeah, mm. yeah, I, I can keep that in mind.
2: Well, I'll keep it in mind too. That brings back some good memories. Great guy, loved my time spent working with him when he did some promotional stuff on the road. That man, of course, was Steve Winwood. I would say that concludes the Steve Winwood interviews, but we do actually have some more. So, over the next few weeks, you'll hear part three, which should be the final part of Steve Winwood. Till then, I'd like to tell you what comes up next week. But as yet, no idea. Way Back Then is part of Moments That Rock, where we dig deep into the archives, dust them down, and deliver them. More archive interviews next week. <laughs>
1: Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com home dash trial.
5: At The Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right.